Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Stuttering Demystified. I am your host, Lori Melnitsky. In today's episode, I bring on a very special guest and friends of mine. Her name is Rebecca Colton, and I want her to talk with you. And basically, the title of this episode is How a 22-year-old quadriplegic learned how to speak again after a tragic ski accident last March. So, Rebecca, welcome, and I'm so happy that I have you on. Hi, Lori. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. So, I thought, Rebecca, I know you've told this story many, many times, but... Maybe you can give everybody um, a brief synopsis of what has happened in your life since last March. Sure. So last March, I was a college student at um, SUNY Binghamton, and I was skiing with some friends and my brother, and I fell, and I I broke my neck in a very high place, and I was paralyzed from the neck down, and my breathing became paralyzed. So I went into pulmonary arrest and eventually cardiac arrest, and I was um, resuscitated on the mountain and brought to an ICU in New Hampshire, where I was then put on a ventilator. And um, since then, I've been in an intense rehab in Boston. Then I came to Long Island for more rehab and eventually was discharged and came home. Well, wow, so a lot has really happened in the past year um and as someone who has known you uh for a long time for those of you who probably wouldn't know this rebecca is my neighbor and has done my social media for many years but i i remember when this first happened I I remember it being a little unknown if, and at the time when the accident first happened, you really weren't speaking. So can you tell us a little bit more? Right, so I was on a ventilator and you can't talk when you're on a ventilator unless they put in a speaking valve, which they didn't feel I was ready for. So I had to mouth everything I wanted to communicate. And that was going on, that went on for a very long time. And it was very, very frustrating because most people can't read lips. And so the speech pathologists would try to come up with ways for me to be able to communicate better besides just mouthing. But it was sometimes even more frustrating to try to use those ways. And so it was just a very difficult time for um, me communication-wise. And often I wouldn't even communicate half the things I wanted to say because it just wasn't worth the stress of trying to get someone to be able to read my lips. Yeah, I'm sure that must have been hard. And I mean, I'm sure that was hard. Um, What effect do you think that had on your family members? I think it was really hard for them because they knew that I wasn't necessarily being completely myself because I'm a very chatty person. I tell jokes, I like to laugh, I'm sometimes loud, and none of those things could come through. So all you were getting was just little bits of my personality here and there when I would mouth words and someone could understand. 
So I'm sure it was really hard to see this change. So at what point did um, you start to learn that with communications, there would be other options? So in the ICU initially, I did meet with a speech therapist and she suggested some sort of um, letter board where it's essentially a board with the alphabet and um, yes, no, and maybe some other simple words. And essentially what someone would do is they would point to each um, letter and I would like nod my head when I wanted them to stop on that letter. And then I would spell out what I was trying to communicate. And this took so long and um, a lot of the times it didn't work because people didn't even know where the letter board was. So maybe it worked for like my mom or dad or the speech therapist, but if a nurse came in, there's a new aide, there's a new nurse, there's a new respiratory therapist, they didn't know where the board was, they didn't know how to use the board. So it wasn't really executed properly and um, I, I had the same sort of method when I got to rehab and that we sort of ran into the, the same issues because it was a booklet but no one knew where the booklet was. And I would try to mouth, get the booklet, but because they can't read lips, it got us nowhere. So it was so frustrating. So I read, yeah, no, I could imagine. And, you know, um, being a speech language pathologist and someone who's struggled with communication my whole life, I can't, you know, I can only imagine how hard that was. And I remember when your mom first mentioned to me that they were putting in a diaphragmatic pacer. I had never heard of it, honestly. I was really happy hearing about it. But can you explain to to us how that really helped you? Yeah, so because of my injury, my spinal cord cannot send messages to my diaphragm to contract so I could breathe. So I got, I was a candidate for this surgery where they surgically implant electrodes on your diaphragm so that you're able to breathe on your own. And I basically have these little wires coming out of my abdomen and it connects to a cord. Still on it. And I have a, a little box and I keep it in a fanny pack and that's my pacer. Something went wrong. And Please it, try again. I, and it basically just allows me to breathe without the ventilator and I was able to talk once the pacer, once I became acclimated to the pacer, which which did take a couple months. Once the pacer was put in, I wasn't able to speak right away. I had to slowly, um, I had to slowly acclimate myself to it by maybe being on the pacer. We started maybe 10 minutes a day. Then we got up to half an hour a day. Then it was half the day. Then it was, I started sleeping with it Eventually, I just never went off the pacer and never went back to the ventilator. And because of the pacer, I was able to speak just like everybody else through my mouth, which was amazing. It is amazing because we are doing a podcast now and everyone's only hearing the audio, but I'm actually sitting here looking at you and I would never know. And I remember when I first started speaking to you, I think via... FaceTime, um, I think we were actually talking about movies <laughs> or or what you can 
possibly find to watch on, you know, Netflix and Hulu, but I can, you know, even hear your energy or maybe is it that you had to learn how to regulate the breathing and speaking? Right. So because I'm not controlling my breath, I sort of have to time my words with my exhale and try to like... I guess arrange my words and sentences so that it sounds more fluid. So I try to end a sentence on my exhale instead of it being super choppy and sort of taking a pause in the middle of a sentence. And um, one other thing is that my voice doesn't get super loud because I'm not taking these big breaths. I'm only taking the breath that the pacer gives me. So um, that was just another challenge is that I, it's hard to hear me and it was hard to hear me in big groups and sometimes people wouldn't even notice I was saying something to them. So that's something I worked on a lot in rehab was getting my voice to be louder and heard in a, in a room. And it's still something I struggle with now, but it's definitely gotten to be better. Well, I'm just curious, what kinds of exercises were they working on with you so you sounded much louder? So she would try to just get me to um, make the loudest noise I could and she would time me and eventually uh, my my time would go up. And I think she had an app where it measured, and when I say she, it was my speech therapist, Jackie, who I absolutely loved. And um, she would she had an app that could measure how loud I was. So it would, it, we could track our progress. Wow, so how long was that? I mean, uh, about how long was Jackie working with you until, it re- until your voice got much louder? I would say it definitely took a couple weeks. And also we worked on range, so it wasn't just volume. So between the two of those things, we worked maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks on that. Um, and then she actually had a baby, so she left. Uh-huh. So then we stopped working on it. But we also did a lot of pitch exercises. I would try to go really low. Then I would slowly go really high. Because at first I sounded really monotone. And I still don't have the range that I used to have, but it's definitely gotten better. Right. I mean, I think you speak amazing. So, I mean, a lot of people, yeah, I mean, obviously you've been through a lot, but a lot of people who are listening to this struggle a lot with communication also. Um, And I know you kind of like, you know, mentioned this, but how did you feel when you were finally able to speak again? Yeah. I really felt like myself again because I felt like I was able to talk to like, for example, the aides who were my age and sometimes they were students. I was able to just talk to them like, like they were my friends and and I felt a lot better about that because I'm a sociable person and I sometimes get got through the day just by making conversation with people. So it just made me, put me in such a better mood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was such a big... Uh, benefit of being able to speak and then obviously there was I think the biggest one of the biggest benefits was the fact that on the iPhone or probably any smartphone there's the voice control setting so I was able to use my phone again which was like so big for me because I was able to communicate with my friends again who I hadn't seen in so long I just was in Boston they people would visit on the weekends but I didn't see them much so that was that was great. 
And I'm sure um, when your family heard you know heard you being able to speak again, that must have been amazing also because then they knew exactly what you needed. Yeah, exactly. And it totally changed like the vibe of the room because sometimes my parents and I would be eating dinner or just sitting in my hospital room and it's just dead silence because my parents are with each other all day. Like there's not much to say. We're not doing anything, but I was, because I was able to speak, I was able to tell, tell them about my day and talk about, oh, this person, this patient said this. And so it just changed the environment of the room so much. Okay. And you also, I mean, if if people want to follow you um, on TikTok, what name is that under? It's Rebecca Colton. So it's just my first and last name. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there. Okay. Well, it was amazing having you on. Um, I know I learned a lot. Um, and I, I know I am so glad that you and I are sitting here communicating. Um, and yeah. And also one other thing, I, I, I don't know if you can answer this, but if somebody like wanted to learn more about a diaphragmatic pacer, how would they learn? I guess you would really just have to Google diaphragmatic pacer and read about it. Um, there's definitely a lot of journal articles, a lot of other stuff that might be easier to digest. And um, it's really, it's a fascinating topic because it's it's a new technology. I think it's only, I think it's less than 10 years old. And I believe only around 4,000 patients in the U.S. have the pacer. So it's it's not quite common. So there might not be a lot of stuff on it, but you could definitely find it online just by searching it. Okay, well, thank you. This was amazing. It was my pleasure. I'm glad to uh, be able to inform people about my experience of getting speech back. And I just want to say that I feel for people who have communication issues because I firsthand experienced how frustrating it can be when you can't express things the way you want to. Thank you. And I, re- I really think your information will help many others. And I really think your journey has been inspiring. Thank you. Thanks so much. My pleasure.